He is holy. Isn't that beautiful? He's holy. He's worthy. He's everything you need and everything that we want. And he calls us a family. We've already prayed a lot of prayers, but I want to pray one more prayer that God would open our eyes to see him for who he really is. Lord, I pray the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. Pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know the hope of your calling, the glorious riches of your inheritance and the saints, the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. Lord, I pray that over every individual, over every friendship, over every marriage, every family, everybody listening online, all over our city for the body of Christ, dear brothers and sisters gathered all over our city today, Lord, open our eyes to see you, that you might be glorified and exalted in our hearts, our homes, our churches, our city, and our nation, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Woo! Well, hey, welcome back, everybody, not just to our college students, but also, of course, so many people, this is the time of year that we re-engage. For those who don't know me, I am Jimmy Seibert, and my wife, Laura, and I, and a group of friends started Antioch now 24 years ago in 1999, and it's just, hey, way to go. I like a little celebration there. And it's just such a joy. And my, my hope and prayer all the time when we gather is just, God, would you make us family? Would you make this a big family room uh, by your grace? Well, one of the things about coming and reconnecting um, was always the, these um, August times, these reconnection times, were always big deals for us, especially for Laura and I in college. It's where God changed our lives. So I was digging through some old pictures of a couple of those Augusts that we re-showed up at Baylor. This is our junior year. This was me. Hey, how about, how about those shorts? I used to have the legs to go with those. A uh, little leaner, a little meaner, about uh, 10 pounds ago, 15. That's a welcome week manual. I was a welcome week leader. I was happy about that. Uh, and then, um, then later on that year, that was when Laura and I fell in love. And look at that sweetheart right there. There we are. Look at the tux. Her hair's pinned back, but it was the big hair days. If you let that out, it was double wide. And uh, God changed our life in college. That was a moment in our history that would set the trajectory for our whole life. And that's, that's what I'm praying for you today. And whether we knew it or not, there were four basic questions that we were asking ourselves. And it's not just for the college student. These are the questions that every human being created in the image of God is asking, even if you don't know it. And here it is. Question one, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This will determine your eternal destiny, will determine your life here on earth. The answer to that question determines all of life. Secondly, not only who is Jesus, but of course, who am I? And my admonition to you that you won't find out who you really are, who you were really created to be apart from finding Jesus, <laughs> because he is the one that created you and defines you. That third deal, who are my people? We are made for community. We are made for others. We're not just uh, a solo, as, as Dorothy just said. We're not just independent lone rangers. We're interconnected with the body. And so who are my people? Who's my tribe? Who's that little nuclear group? Who's that extended group? We are made not only for Jesus, but we're made for one another. And then that last thing, what is my 
purpose? What is my purpose in life? These are the questions that you are asking over and over again, said or unsaid, known or unknown, and the answers to those questions matter. (laughs) They will make you stable, secure, healthy, mentally, emotionally, relationally. Answering those questions is the need of all of our lives. And in these times of reconnecting and renewal, I would review those again if I was you and say, Jesus, let me see your answers to my life in this hour. And, you know, some, I found out something really cool this week is looking uh, at Matthew chapter 16. You can turn there right now. In just six verses, every one of those questions is answered. And, and actually, the whole Bible <laughs> answers those questions over and over again. And so I want us to read together. I'll, I'll read it out loud. You can follow on your app or Bible or on the screen. And, look, and looking for the answers to those questions. So here we go, Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, a preacher of repentance of sin. Some say Elijah, an incredible prophetic seer full of signs and wonders. Some say you're like Jeremiah, the one who weeps with compassion over your people. And he said to them, well, that's good, but I want to know who do you say that I am? And Peter answered this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I just want to pause right here and say this. If you're wanting to know God, there's this deal you need to do, and it's called ask God. God, would you reveal yourself to me? I am not capable to understand you in my flesh, in my own understanding, in my own experience. God, would you reveal yourself? And the beauty and the desire of God, as we prayed earlier out of Ephesians 1, that he would open the eyes of our heart to see him. Verse 18, I also pray to you that, I also say to you, excuse me, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So let's, let's look back at our little chart. If we look back at our little chart and leave it up there, you see that in these scriptures that we just read, every one of those questions is answered. Who is Jesus? Uh, Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the promised one. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good answer. Way to go. Ding, ding, one. I'm like, who am I? Then in light of his revelation of who God is, then God is able then to speak to Peter about who he is. Peter, you're a rock. You're a stable man. I don't know if you've read the story of Peter. That's not what I pick up. But Jesus says he's a stable man. He puts faith and solidity in his heart for a future and a hope, even though he's a fellow struggler at the time. Jesus sees you. He created you for a purpose and a plan, and he wants to put his identity on you as a son or a daughter, valuable to him. He says, Peter, you're the rock, and then who are my people? And I'm calling you to build my church on your understanding of me and my heart for you. I'm calling you to build my church. So this is going to be your people, the body of Christ. And what is my purpose? Your purpose is to destroy the works of the evil one, overcome the gates of hell. And then he goes on to say, whatever you bind in heaven will be loosed, uh, 
uh, on, on whatever you bind in heaven will be loosed in heaven. Whatever bind in earth will be loosed on earth. There we go. <laughs> and his whole deal is this. Our purpose, you guys, is to push back darkness and to bring in righteousness. That out of our relationship with Jesus, his affirmation of us, and with the people of God, we are bringing the kingdom of God into every space and every place on the planet. First in our hearts, then in our homes, then in our neighborhoods, then in our workplaces and in the world. We already know our purpose. It's already answered. And yes, I may do that as a doctor or a lawyer or construction worker. There are applications and assignments, but God has already answered your purpose. And that's you're so alive in Jesus that you're bringing to bear the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Isn't that amazing? I just love that. I love that. So let's unpack today. Question number one, who is Jesus? And again, here's what Peter proclaimed. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That word Christ, as we said earlier, means you are the promised one. You are the Messiah. You are the savior for the sins of the whole world. If we can put that definition back there, I appreciate that. You are Christ, right, the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior for the sins of the whole world. Now, up to this point, when Peter declares this, before then, he had seen Jesus do incredible things. He had seen Jesus cast out demons with a word, incredible power. People that were mentally struggling put in their right mind in a moment. He had seen Jesus pray for the sick. People literally paralytics, they would rise up and walk, broken arms straightened, fevers disappearing. He had seen the power of God. He had seen food multiplied. We need some more food. Miraculously, food had been multiplied. He had been in storms literally where they thought they were going to die and Jesus would still the storm. He had literally for a brief moment walked on water with Jesus. I mean, he'd had a good run getting up to Matthew 16. And so it is right for him to just say, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the promised one. You're the son of the living God. But he doesn't fully grasp it until what happens after Matthew 16. Because from there on, he's learning some more from Jesus, but ultimately where he learns the most is when he finds out what grace is really about. Because every revelation of Jesus is steeped in the grace of God. And just so you know, my voice is not changing. I'm not going through puberty. It's going through allergies. So, so here we go. So um, Jesus tells Peter, hey, I am going to go to the cross, and you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, they all may deny you, but I won't. Okay, barrier number one to knowing God is pride. I'm not like the others, Lord. Yes, you are. Just get on your face and say, yes, I am, Lord. Have mercy on me. So Peter arrogantly says, I won't forsake you because I know so much about you. And Jesus is basically saying, no, you're about to find out what you really need to know through your failure. And so Jesus is betrayed. You know the story. There's a group of disciples gathered. They're uh, accused by others. Weren't you with this Jesus? Aren't you with him? He said, no, I have nothing to do with him. He denies him three times. The rooster crows. And there's this one um, story, in the, uh, part of the story in the Gospels where it says, Jesus looked over at Peter after the rooster crowed, after he denied him three times. Can you imagine what that felt like? 
Talk about failure. Oh, my goodness. Well, so then Peter stays at a distance. A few of the disciples stayed closer, and Jesus literally on the cross, he's nailed to the cross. He bears your sin and my sins of the whole world, and before he takes his last breath, that famous declaration, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those who could hear it felt the impact of it immediately. But what was being declared was what was going out throughout the whole world. I have, I have died on the cross. I am making the provision so that everyone can be forgiven whoever calls on the name of Jesus. Well, he dies, he's buried, he rises again. And then Peter, after the ladies see that the tomb is empty, he runs to see for himself. He still doesn't believe it. Then he meets Jesus face to face. And all of a sudden, he realizes it's true. Jesus not only is the Christ, he's not only the Messiah, he not only does powerful things, but he's my Savior, he's my Messiah, and he loves me. We see that most powerfully displayed um, at the end of the Gospels where Jesus restores Peter, and he tells Peter, Peter, now go and feed my sheep all your failures. I just want you to love me and love them, and we're good to go, Peter. And then if you guys know the story, Peter is waiting after the ascension of Jesus, and the Spirit of God comes on him, and he stands up and boldly proclaims the gospel, and the church is birthed in a day. 3,000 people are saved. So this man who said something great in Matthew 16 went through the death, burial, and resurrection of failure and found the forgiveness and what I called the withness of God, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit became all that God had for him. Now, I'm saying all that to say, I want us to unpack that one phrase, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, but in light of these two thoughts, yes, that Jesus is king, yes, he is Lord of lords, yes, he is friend to all, yes, he is lover of our soul, he is thousands of things. He's the most mighty, beautiful name above all names that's ever lived. And we could unpack so many aspects of it. But there's two aspects that Peter found that I think are the keys for you to have your own revelation of Jesus. And that is the forgiveness of God and what I call the withness of God. Okay, you ready to unpack that? So let's go back to the beginning of Matthew. Matthew 1, it says this, you will bear a son you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the forgiveness of God. And he shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's the withness of God. God is, is not wanting you to be detached from him. He's wanting you to be fully attached. And to be fully attached, we have to understand that we are fully forgiven. For those who've been around for years, I rarely do a sermon where we don't touch Genesis. So welcome back to Genesis chapter three, very familiar passage, hopefully. And that is where sin comes into the world. And Adam and Eve, they're told that every tree in the garden is available. Don't eat of the knowledge of the good and evil. Don't eat this one fruit. Of course, they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They choose their way instead of God's way. And here's the consequence, Genesis 3, 7 through 9. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, 
And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the Lord walking. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Wow, this is one of the most saddest statements in the Bible. Among the trees of the garden. And when the Lord called the man, he said, Adam, where are you? Or Adam, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> what, what's going on? And then it goes into the blame game. Adam says, well, she, she told me to do this. And he and the devil and everybody. So we go into guilt, shame, and blame because we missed God's purpose and intention for our lives. This is ultimately sin in the world. We've missed the mark. We've missed the way that God called us to live. We've missed that space and that place of being under the shelter of his grace and under the shelter of his wing. Sin is destructive in every direction because it breaks relationship with God and it breaks our relationship with one another. Now, I'm a pretty simple guy. So if I got a problem, I'd like to know the solution now clearly and to get to the solution as quickly as I can. So here we go. Your problem and my problem is clear. It's sin. <laughs> sin is this centrality of the thing that pulls us away from God and pulls us away from one another. So if we can deal with sin, then we have a way to be attached to God and attached to each other in every way that God intended. But if we can't deal with sin, then we'll continue to stumble and bumble around hoping to try to get value somewhere, somehow, and constantly missing the mark, okay? So the reason that forgiveness is so paramount to understand because it is that central theme of being forgiven that allows me to be free and to enjoy my relationship with God, to love people in the way that he intended and experience the flow that he has for us. All right, so let me, let me just keep unpacking it here. So the Adam and Eve sin, now we've got the barrier between God and man, all the struggles are beginning. And God then begins to provide a way for the cleansing of sin. Again, I've been saying this a lot this year, but I want to review it again. Without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice for sin. And with no sacrifice for sin, there's no intimacy with God and other people. So what would happen is they would, among other things, they would take a lamb or a goat the priests who were representing God would lean into that sheep or lamb. They would transfer the sins of the people onto that sheep. That sheep was killed. The blood was shed. It was put over the altar. And because of the blood, the priest could go into the presence of God on behalf of the people. So throughout the Old Testament, this is how people got right with God. Through the priest, through the prophet, through the king, making the sacrifice, I could be right with God. But it wasn't personal. It was more by hope and faith in, a, in an intermediary. In the New Testament, John the Baptist says this when the first sighting of Jesus publicly, uh, or the understood sighting of Jesus, and he says this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a, I'm just gonna say it again. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> 
So now the problem that has been throughout the ages from Adam and Eve to that present moment has now been, is now going to be solved through a person named Jesus because he will bear your sin and my sin, allow himself to be crucified like that lamb or like that goat, but it won't be a continual thing. It'll be a once and for all deal forever and we'll never again have to wonder, can I be free from sin? This is, a, this is the most stunning thing in the universe, and because of that revelation, when you understand that the wall is down, and you can run into the throne of grace and receive mercy and help, and reattached to the God who created you, understand who you are, know how you're connected to the family, the body of Christ, and know your purpose for your life. This revelation of the complete forgiveness and work of Jesus is paramount. Let me go to a couple of key scriptures, Romans 5, 6, and 8. So while we were still helpless, anybody felt helpless this week? I have. <laughs> Yesterday I felt helpless. I had to pray a bunch, get over the hump, right? Uh, am I the only person? Right? Did anybody feel helpless this week but me? Just don't, don't make me feel bad. All right. We, while we were still helpless or feeling helpless, whether it's a reality or not, while we were still helpless in the midst of our challenge at the right time. Everybody say the right time. Christ died for the ungodly at the perfect timing of God, right when we needed a savior, right when I needed to be delivered, right when I needed the promised one, at the right time. Can I say right now is the right time. <laughs> it is the right time in our helplessness to cry out to God at the right time he died for the ungodly for one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for a good man some will dare even to die but God demonstrates his own love towards us and then while we were yet sinners or while we were still sinning Christ died for us woo while I am still sinning the Savior stands there waiting for me to come and confess my sins so that I might be cleansed and immediately get back into right standing with God and live as a free man. The word confession literally means to agree with God. Confession of sin is just, I agree with God. You're right, God, that is sin. That's, that's what confession is. Yes, God, you're right about this. Not just the bad things, but the good things. This is how I should live life. This is how I should do marriage. This is how I do relationship. When we confess both the positive things that God has told us to do, and when we confess and agree with the things that are bad, we're literally coming into agreement with God that we might be covered by his grace and empowered to live a different life. And here's the deal. Forgiveness is not partial it is full. It is full. It is complete. When I confess my sins, Laura and I got in a little argument yesterday. It was all my fault. I just wanted to say that ahead of time. <laughs> Guys, that's always the right answer anyway, but it was true actually in this case. And uh, I was just being a little ornery. And so I apologized. I said, hey, will you forgive me? Now, I'm sure it took her a little while to get over it, but the good thing about Jesus is that when I confess whatever the issue is, he forgives me and cleanses me in the moment. And again, if you've been around, I talk about this a lot because I still don't think we're getting it. <laughs> when I understand that the forgiveness of God is full, then I believe in the power and grace of God to live a free life. 
And therefore, I am covered by the blood of Jesus. I am forgiven by the grace of God. And here's the key to it. Two things can't occupy the same space. When I am prone to sin or headed in a wrong direction, I can fall on my knees and say, I love you, Jesus. I worship you. Your death, burial, and resurrection is enough. I cut all ties with immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. I cut all ties with anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from mouth, whatever's going on in my heart or mind. I cut all ties with that. You became a curse on my behalf that I might be free and empowered to live a different life. Hallelujah. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. And in the beauty of God, in the wisdom of God, he's made it in such a way that for you to walk in the grace of God and the continual forgiveness and uh, mercy of God, you have to be attached to God. Amen. It's not just a set of principles trying to be a better person. As I've often said, please be a better person. Use those principles anyway. But that ultimate sustainability of grace and the enjoyment of God is based on being attached to God. So I walk with him and I talk with him and I'm honest with him. Some of us are still uh, uh, of this mindset that God is shocked by our sin. Or this idea, hey, I finally, you know, I finally got honest with God. I just laid all my sin out there. And I'm like, do you think God didn't already know all that? <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> it's not that God it needs you to tell, tell him all your sin. He already knows it all. He needs you to confess, agree with him so that his grace and power can be enacted so that you can walk free. Woo! I love Jesus that he set this deal up for relationship, not just principles to try to be a better person. And I just want you to know that you're not going to get any, you're only going to get as better, if you will, as your attachment to Jesus. Because the beauty and the purity of Jesus is a reflection. I behold him and I reflect. I live in him and I'm able. The God's grace is where we live and move and have our very being. So the full forgiveness of God. Peter understood the forgiveness of God. So when the Spirit of God came on him to be a witness, to be that man, that rock for the church, he was able now, not just because he declared a theological truth, but now he'd gone through failure and forgiveness and mercy and grace, and now he had power through relationship to be the testimony of God. So if we have our revelation of God's forgiveness, we can access his greatness. We also need a revelation of his withness. We've been talking about this already, but Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated and means God with us. Whew. All right, everybody. God's here. That's amazing. I mean, I'm, I got goosebumps just with that thought. God's here. Saint and sinner, he's not just with me, preacher guy. He's with you, same God. He's, he's literally right here. Most of us can't see him. Every once in a while by revelation, we may catch a little sighting. But as a general rule, our life is by faith. But he is, he's here. And all he's waiting for is the turning. Just, you just, yes, Lord, I see you. I recognize you. I receive you again, your love, your care for me. 
I want you. He's here. It's, just, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And he's here. He's here to help. He's here to encourage. He's here to build up. He's here to strengthen. He's here to correct and guide. But above all else, he's here to reattach you in order that your heart might be healed. Now, just hang with me a moment. Many people know uh, a little bit about attachment theory. It's not actually a theory. It's attachment facts. And that is God has supernaturally created the family to nurture and care for children. There's this unique uh, deal that um, in the early uh, weeks of a child's life that they can only see 19 inches. And the reason is because they attach to the one who feeds them, whether that is fed naturally or whether it's with a bottle. If they're looking in the eyes of the one who feeds them, they attach neurologically and emotionally and relationally. All the things that are developing so quickly, they attach this close within 19 inches. So if you think about how does God want to reattach with us, not from just theological principles from a distant, but because of the blood of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, he brings us close so that we can attach through our beholding of him, not just our thinking about him. And what happens when a, when a child is rightly attached and healthily developed and cared for and nurtured through their parents, then they mentally and emotionally and relationally and intellectually, the, 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 the beauty of everything that God created in the bee comes really alive. But most of us, of course, did not grow up in perfect homes. Some of us grew up in no home or very difficult situations. So in one way, we all feel a little detached. We all feel a little bit like orphans. And that is why Jesus came to save us from sin, that we might be born again into the family of God, and that he, by his Spirit, may nurture us into that attachment that we were made for. It's amazing, amazing. There's a scripture that uh, has meant so much to me that I think captures this thought. It says in Isaiah 49, 14 through 16, but Zion said, or the people of God said, the Lord has forsaken me. He better have felt like God's forsaken him, right? Just two of us, maybe, maybe me and a few others. The Lord has forsaken Where's God? And the Lord has forgotten me. You ever felt like your other just left on the side? Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? We've had several, we raised several screaming kids. The answer is no. Uh, but even these may forget, even that parent may discard you. But I will not forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. In this last little phrase, your walls are continually before me. Wow. I will carry you close and I will nurse you back to health in my presence. And even though you've had whatever your parental situation that triggers and affects you emotionally, I'm going to hold you close, so close that I'm literally going to write your name on the palm of my hand. I'm literally tattooing your name on the palm of my hand so that when I hold you, you know I've got you. Every person in this room and every person online, your name is written on the hand of God. 
because he wants to carry you and care for you and pull you close. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? The hand, the name written. And then that last little phrase, your walls are ever before me. You guys, all of us have walls. We all have walls and barriers to God, emotionally, mentally, physically. It could be walls of sin, whatever the walls are. We all have them. But he says, I understand your walls, and I'm coming to knock them down through my death, burial, and resurrection. As I was praying this week for our time together, the the picture I kept seeing in my mind was like walls falling down, that God's great love and forgiveness and, and knowledge of God would just bust the walls down and that we would have freedom to reattach and attach fully to him. This is the beauty of God. Another way that the Hebrew word for love is a word hesed. And hesed means the attaching, covenantal, faithful, eternal love of God. It's a way that God's described as loving in the Old Testament. And what I've started to do in my own devotional life is to take that phrase where Jesus said that all the commandments are wrapped up in this thought, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And instead of the word uh, uh, love, I have put the word attach in there. The Hesed love of God. Uh, and and, and I, I say it this way God, I want to attach to you with all my heart. That means take all of our affections, everything that's looking for love in the wrong place, roll it all up. I want to attach to you with all my affections. I want to attach to you with all my soul, my personality, the uniqueness of which you've made me. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you because God thinks everything beautiful. He sees the redemptive side of you. So bring who you are to God. I attach to God with my personality. I attach to God with my mind. And again, that's why we use the scriptures to renew our minds, to let God define himself by himself, not by our emotions only, but the renewal of our minds. We love with our heart, soul, mind, and all of our strength. So my first affections, my first place, my first love, my first of the day goes into word, worship, and prayer that my affections might be rightly attached and rightly set to the one who loves me, to the one that I love and the one that can carry me through anything and everything. I'm not just drifting through life. I'm attached by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God to God himself. And he is re-parenting me or reattaching me in his desire for me. Woo! And when you're there, you're ready. You're ready for anything. Never perfect, but always attached. Always coming back because he does not reject those that he creates for himself. The door is always open at God's house because of the blood of Jesus. Well, there's so many more things that I could say. We call it passion for Jesus. Literally, that means just saying, Lord, everything we are, we attach into you, and then everything flows from that. But one of the things that I've found through the years is every, time, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who houses this passion for Jesus, who houses this reality and clarity that Jesus, you're the Christ, and everything that that means. And when I do, I love to to share that with friends. And a few years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. at the National Prayer Breakfast. And for uh, just in simplest terms, it's a... um, 
It's a, a ballroom setting. There's 4,000 people, leaders from around the world, influencers and in industry. And let's just say a third of the room is really on fire for Jesus. A third of the room would be kind of nominal Christian. And a third of the room would be Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist leaders uh, and or atheists, that kind of crowd. And so it's a very eclectic room. And the reason I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you um, a man who spoke just a few minutes at the end of his time of sharing, and he wasn't even supposed to be the speaker for that particular prayer breakfast, but he was the, uh, the chaplain of the Senate. He was a retired admiral. His name was Barry Black. And for those of us that were there, I was just talking to a friend recently that was there, and we were just saying to be in the room was to be caught up in Jesus. His passion pulled us all in. And there was a standing ovation at the end of 4,000 people from somebody in love with Jesus. And I guarantee you the Muslim, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the atheist, even the nominal Christian didn't even know why they were standing. They were just caught up in what they were created for. So I want to catch you up in that same moment as we listen to Barry Black at the end of his talk. My mother motivated my siblings and me to study the word of God. She provided us with a monetary incentive, five cents for every verse you memorized. So if you would enter our domicile, you would find my siblings and me searching the word of God for short Bible verses. <laughs> I know every short Bible verse in the book, okay? My favorite Bible verse is not John 3.16, it is John 11.35. Jesus wept. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. I love Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Powerful verse, powerful verse. First Thessalonians 5 is a treasure trope. Quench not the spirit, rejoice evermore, in everything give thanks, despise not prophesying. In fact, I was, I was doing my riff on First Thessalonians chapter 5 and my mother put me on a flat rate. She said, hold it, hold it, hold it. I don't care how much you memorize, you're only going to get a quarter, okay? All right. But my mother knew what she was doing. One day, I memorized 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I was only 10 years of age. It says, and we are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And even at 10... I had sufficient analytical skills to know that the value of an object is based upon the price someone is willing to pay. And when it dawned on me, little, little guy in the inner city, that God sent what John 3 calls in the Greek the monogenes, the only one of its kind, his only begotten son to die for me. No one was ever able to make me feel inferior again. <clears throat> moreover, moreover, 
I discussed, I said, I got to get to know this man who died for me. So now it was not just for the nickels that I started reading the word. It was to try to find this man. And, and as I searched the scriptures, I, I, it was like a, a, a Zeffirelli movie with the man with no name. I, I, I kept finding him in, in Genesis, he's Shiloh. In Exodus, he's the I am. In Numbers, he's the star and scepter. In Deuteronomy, he's the rock. In, in, in 1 Samuel, he's the Lord of hosts. In Job, he is the redeemer. In Psalms, he is the great shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the beloved. I kept running into that man. And Isaiah, he's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Micah, he is the one who's going forth of old, is from everlasting to everlasting. In Zechariah, he is the branch. In Malachi, he is the messenger of the covenant. Matthew calls him savior. Mark calls him son of man. Luke calls him the great physician. John calls him the word made flesh. Acts says he is the one who will mobilize us to witness. Philippians says God has exalted him so that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First Thessalonians says he is the one who will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and Jude says he's able to keep me without stumbling or slipping and present me without fault, without blemish before the presence of his glory with unspeakable ecstatic delight in triumphant joy and exultation. And John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day on that isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. I saw him high and lifted up. He is Alpha, he's Omega, he is beginning, he is ending. And so because I kept meeting that man, my hope does not rest in the various branches of government, executive, legislative, or judicial. My hope does not rest in the alliances that we build. My testimony is simply this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest flame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. God bless you.
for Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Holy, worthy, beautiful. Hey, we're gonna sing that whole song through, but we always wanna respond to the word of God when it's spoken and pray for one another. Can our prayer teams come to the front quickly? We have prayer teams up along that balcony. We're gonna go back into the song here in just a moment. But if you have a need physically, we talked about Jesus. He would extend his hand and the sick were healed. And then he gave us that commission to pray for the sick. And so every time we gather, we pray for the sick. We pray for if you're struggling with mentally or emotionally or relationally or financially, whatever's going on in life, we always encourage you, humble yourself, come get prayer. If you're afraid to come down here or go up to one of those places on the balcony, just grab a friend and say, would you go with me? I need help. If you're struggling in your marriage right now, just grab your spouse by the hand, say, let's go get prayer. If you're concerned for a loved one, again, this is our time to pray for you. If you're living, I, I specifically in my mind, I just, if you're living under a yoke of fear that you feel is immobilizing right now, the Bible says God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And so many times when I've let, had fear, I just come to somebody and say, would you pray for me? And they pray, God, break that spirit of fear and let peace come into our hearts and minds. If you're fearful, fearful or anxious and you need prayer, come on. We have trusted men and women up here that want to love you and pray for you. One last prayer that I want to do is if you're watching online or you're in the sound of my voice in this room and you don't know Jesus, man, I just teared up here a moment. If you don't know Jesus, he's come for you. He came for you, and he's coming for you today to love you, forgive you, and bring you to himself. And I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you need to be forgiven of your sins, if you need to know Jesus, you've never trusted in him, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you're um, not currently praying for someone or something, if you're a believer here, could you just pray for a person that doesn't know Jesus, somebody in your sphere of influence, a friend, a family member? Would you also pray for prodigals to come home? We want to be praying, if you're a believer, for people to come to Jesus or come home uh, if they're far away. And then for those who need Jesus, would you just close your eyes right now? If you need Jesus, I want to pray with you this simple prayer. You can pray it right after me. Lord Jesus, just call out to him, Lord Jesus, I need you. You just tell him your need. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. This is where you, you just know I can't carry the weight of this anymore, God. Forgive me of my sins. Now we confess, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. That's where we're declaring that his sacrifice was enough. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. We're just agreeing that he has the power over sin and death. And I believe, God, today that you've made a way for me to be free. And so I come. I give my heart to you. Just pray it with me. I give my life to you. I give my sin to you. And I trust you to be my Lord and Savior right now. If you just prayed that simple prayer with me, just open your hands, whether it's online or in the room, just open your hands as a way of surrender. Lord, for every man, woman, and child calling on your name right now, I proclaim them free from the power of sin and death. I proclaim them free, God, according to your grace, according to your 
calling of our hearts that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray, even in this moment, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Let them know the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of your love right now in Jesus' name. Now we're going to sing this song all the way through, just reaffirming that he is our cornerstone. And at the end, someone will come up and close us in prayer. Let's respond to him right now.